So when you get to the olive, when you get to the Gethsemane, the olive has to go through five processes. So this is you. This is how you get anointed. The first thing is the olive has to be plucked. Everybody say the olive has to be plucked. All right, so the, the first thing that happens in your life is you cannot get anointed until you are called. All right, so that's the first thing. That's the plucking. That's God separating you from what was comfortable. God separating you from, from what was giving you nurture and nutrients and all those things. It's so, much, it's so much easier to just sit there and soak. So much easier to sit there and be taught. And God says, no, I've got something I want you to say. And that gets a little scary, right? Now you gotta get the microphone and say something. You don't wanna do that, right? I get that. Because God has to call you. So, so the first process of the olive, it has to be plucked. And so don't try to do ministry unless you know for a fact that you're called. How do I know I'm called? Well, mine was a little dramatic. Now, everybody's not going to get a dramatic calling, but I'm kind of a dramatic person, so maybe God knew that's the only, thing, only way I'd say yes. I knew that everybody had spoken over me since I was a kid, saying, you're going to be a preacher. My dad was a, a country preacher and a holiness preacher, and, and I just didn't want it. I'll be honest with you, I just didn't want it. And, um, and everybody kept trying to call that out on me, saying, you're going to preach, and I know I'm not either. And so I wasn't planning on preaching, and I was 16 years old, running from the Lord, and, uh, and just, you know, hanging one foot in, one foot out, you know how that goes. I'm a teenager, I'm 17 years old, and I'm cutting wood for this older couple, and uh, every time I would, I would cut their wood for them, they would uh, pray this prayer. Now, you've heard me tell this story, some of you have heard me pray, tell this story. They had two rocking chairs and they had no money and they were a retired minister and his wife and they would pray this prayer and they would say, God, make a preacher out of him. That's all they would ever say. And I'm thinking, come on, let's pray another prayer. How about praying me in a car? I need a car right now. You want to pray me in the ministry? I need a car right now. I'm 17 and carless. You know, how about praying me in a woman right now? You know, I'm 17. God help us. I need, I need, you know, that's where my mind was at. And they wouldn't pray for a woman. They wouldn't pray for a car. They prayed for one thing every time. God, make a preacher out of him. And they prayed that every time I'd cut their wood and go do work around their house. I was this teenager kid. I love this older couple. And that's the only prayer they would pray. And so, um, brother Allison, his name was Jay and Allison. Brother Allison was having a heart attack. He was in his eighties. And so they asked my dad because there was no, uh, no, you know, uh, ambulance out there in the country. So they asked my dad, could he take him into the hospital in Newport, Tennessee? So we're on our way in and, uh, they were, we're in the church van or in the, my mom and dad's van, I think. Mom and dad's in the front seat. I'm in the middle seat. Brother Sister Allison's in the back. And on our way to Newport, there is a dump truck loaded down with, with gravel coming off the side of a mountain. And the kid that was driving it was 18 years old. It was his first day on the job. Never been checked out great on those, on those air brakes. And so he did not know how to stop that dump truck. And it came off the side of that mountain and hit us in the side. And it killed Brother Sister Allison instantly killed them. Their bodies are laying on top of mine. And so um, they, the, this is a story I'm told from my mother that the EMTs went and told them none of the people in the back survived. Now there's a picture in the Newport newspaper. You can still find it. And there's this arm hanging out on the side of the road and that's me. 
And they took my pulse and they said, he's not alive. And so they went and told my parents that no one in the back of the van survived. The older couple and the young and the teenage boy was, was killed. Now, I don't remember dying in that way. All I remember is I was in a dark room. That kind of scared me a little bit. Now, now think about it. Maybe I should stop praying for a woman and start praying for ministry, right? Because I didn't see the light. I didn't hear St. Peter. I didn't see the dove flying and all the flowers. But I didn't see hell either. So thank God for that. I'm just kind of in this dark room. That's all I remember. And I heard a voice say to me, if you will pray or if you will preach, you can live. And this is what I said back. And this is no joke. I mean, God is my witness. I said back to that voice, what kind of a choice is that? That's what I said. I didn't say, okay, I'll live. I didn't want to preach. And I said, what kind of a choice is that? A 17 year old kid didn't have much wisdom for talking to the almighty, obviously. And the voice spoke back to me and said, it's the only choice you have. And I had to make a decision right then. And I made the decision, okay, if you let me out of here, I'll preach. Because I didn't know where I was going. There's like two doors. I didn't know what was behind door number one or door number two. And I didn't want to take a chance. So I'm thinking, I better take my chance in the pulpit, man. But, and so I, I said to the voice, I will preach. And the next thing I know, I'm taking a big gulp of oxygen. They got the jaws of life, and they're pulling me out of the bottom of a wreck, and there's blood all over me, but it's not my blood. It's the blood of this precious couple that said, God, make a preacher out of him. God gave them one more answered prayer, one more arrow to fly, and that was me. They were my bows, and now I'm an extension of their life and ministry because I said yes. <laughs> That's a calling. So guys, I can't stop or I might die. So there you go. So I'm gonna be preaching until I die, and if I ever stop, I might die. So you don't ever have to worry about me not preaching. I'm gonna preach as long as I can preach because that was my ultimatum. Now your, your, your calling may not be that dramatic, but you have to be called. Most people, it's a tugging at their heart that never goes away. So I just really feel like I'm supposed to do this. I, I just know that it's this constant pulling at me. But the first step of anointing is you cannot go into ministry unless you know that God has called you to do that ministry. You try it without it, it's, you're gonna run into trouble. I'm just being honest, you're gonna run into trouble. God's gotta call you. Here's the second process. First step is you have to be plucked. The second process is that you have to be pierced. Okay, so this is on the screen there. You see the piercing of the olives. And the reason for that, the reason they pierce the olives is because the olive skin is thin. Everybody say thin skin. That's what you cannot have in the ministry. You cannot have thin skin in the ministry. You get offended easily, don't even start. Don't, I promise you, you will not last long. You get your feelings hurt all the time, don't even try to go in the ministry because your feelings are gonna get hurt. You can have as many people that hate you as, the, as love you. That's what ministry looks like in real life, okay? So you, you, you're, gonna, you, you're gonna have all of those things. So the first thing you have to do is you have to get the bitterness out because underneath the, the skin of the olive is bitterness. And if you don't get it out, then the olive oil is bitter and it will actually burn you when you, when you take the olive oil in. You have to get the bitterness out. So you, they call it piercing the olive. And the olives are pierced with small holes so that the bitterness can come out. So here's what you need to understand. When you go into ministry, when you get called, one of the first stages of your ministry is God's gonna require you to work out some of your unsettled conflicts. 
all right? You're not, you, you don't want to do it, but God says, listen, I really want to use you, but I can't use you like this. You fall apart too easy. Uh, I want to use you, but I can't use you like this because you're going to limp yourself to the pulpit and you're never going to say, thus says the Lord. I, I, I can use you, but I can't use you like this because you, you're afraid if somebody doesn't agree with you or, or you want everybody to like you and everybody's just not going to like you in the ministry. I had someone come up to me right here in this building about, um, about four weeks ago. They came up to me right here in this building, standing right over there. And they said, I just wanted to meet you because when I first started hearing you preach, I didn't like you. And I didn't like your preaching. But you've grown on me. I don't know how you're supposed to answer that. So I just said, well, thank the Lord. That's all I knew to say. It's like, well, thank the Lord I've grown on you. But you know what? I realize I'm not assigned to everybody. I'm not everybody's flavor. I get that. I got a little hot sauce in me and a little old school in me. Everybody can't take that. You know, you're looking for a Presbyterian hallelujah. I'm not your guy. But if you want somebody that still dances in the spirit and speaks in tongues and has a shaky hand every now and then, run around the, I can do that now. That's more me. So I realize I'm not everybody's flavor of the month. And so that, I mean, that happened just right here, standing right there. So the Lord says, if you got skin thin, stay out of the pulpit. If you get teary-eyed every time you think somebody don't like you, you're never going to make it. You got to get, you got to work that out. That doesn't mean you're never going to get anointed, but that means that's the first thing you got to work out before God can use you. You have to go through a piercing. Now, why is that important? All right, let me show you. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. It's going to be on the screens for you, but Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. This is why if you have unresolved conflict, you will grieve the Holy Spirit in you when you try to do God's work. If you have people that you don't like, okay, get this. You don't have to like everybody, but you have to love everybody. You got people you're talking about right now or you're letting people talk to you? Forget it. Your anointing is not going to happen the way you think it is. That's just not the way God works. That's just not how it works. So, so the good news is you don't have to like everybody. Like means we are alike. So I'm not, we're not all alike. So you don't have to like everybody. Anybody feel free from that? You don't have to like everybody to go to heaven, but you have to love everybody to go to heaven, right? There's a difference. So if you don't have, if you have unresolved conflict, it will grieve the Holy Spirit. Look in Ephesians chapter 4. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. All right, so let me show you this downward spiral. When you get hurt and you don't get over it, it starts with bitterness. Everybody say bitterness. Bitterness means I've been offended, right? So that's what bitterness looks like. You got this bad taste in your mouth. But when you don't deal with bitterness, it turns into something else. It turns into wrath. What does wrath look like? That means I'm seething on the inside. So this is a progression. One turns into the next one. So this bitterness now turns into wrath. Put that scripture up there, guys, so they can follow with me on this. Um, I want you to see this. Put that scripture back up there. Uh, go back up to the very beginning of Ephesians 4. There we go. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you're sealed. The very next one, go to verse 31. There we go. There we go. This is what I want. Keep it right there. This is what I want. Bitterness turns into wrath. Wrath turns into anger. Anger turns into clamor. Clamor turns into evil speaking. And evil speaking turns into malice. Let me show you what that looks like. I'm bitter about something, but I'm not saying anything. 
I think I'm okay, but I'm seething on the inside. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not cussing yet, but where I spit, the grass don't grow good. I'm just telling you that. I, I got something brewing on the inside, right? So I, I, I'm, I'm, um, I am seething on the inside. That's me in wrath. And then my wrath turns into an emotion. And before I know it, I've just lashed out. I know none of you would ever do that, but I've done it a couple times, right? I've just lashed out because I didn't deal with it. And now what was here is now here. And it's in my emotions. And then I start clamoring. You know what clamoring is? Gossip. Now I start talking about it. Now I just got to tell somebody. And then I got to tell somebody else. And then I, then I tell somebody else. Because I have not dealt with my bitterness. It has turned into wrath. Now it's turned into anger. Now it's turned into clamor. And at first the clamor seems innocent because I'm getting some attention. But then the clamor becomes evil speaking. Notice what the first word there is. Evil. Now I've just forsaken all, the, all of my beliefs in Christianity. I'm saying mean things. I'm saying bad things. I'm saying hurtful things. I'm saying cruel things. I'm speaking damnation over people's life because I never dealt with it. So what started out is just me being hurt. I now have wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. I have to put that away from me because it's going to turn into malice. And malice means now I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to hurt somebody. I'm going to break something. I'm going to act out my anger. That's what malice is. Now I'm going to walk it out. I'm going to act it out. And now I'm dangerous. So he says that if you, if you don't get rid of your bitterness, in the ministry, you have to be pierced to get rid of your bitterness because the last thing you need is a mean preacher in the pulpit. Anybody ever heard one of those guys preach? Woo, it's tough to take, isn't it? I don't mean stern. I don't mean honest. I don't mean prophetic. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just pure old mean. Somebody that is browbeating you over the head. If you've never heard one of those guys preach, thank God every day you didn't hear them. And if you have heard somebody like that preach, thank God every day you don't have to hear it again. Because it is a mess in the pulpit when somebody drags their personal, not convictions, drags their personal pain to the pulpit and crucifies everybody for it. It's an ugly scene. Thank you so much for supporting our ministry. If this has blessed you, please say a prayer for us. And if you would like to give, we have four ways that you can do that. You can give online at briancutshaw.com or if you're a PayPal user, just PayPal us at Church Trainer. Or you can also give through the mail at P.O. Box 267, Georgetown, Tennessee, 37336. Or if you're a Venmo user, you can Venmo us also at Church Trainer. Thank you, and God bless you, and may the Lord multiply your seed. Now back to Hope in the Word. So he says in Hebrews 12, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest, we, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest the root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and therefore many become what? Defiled. So if I don't get rid of my bitterness, I'm going to hurt more people than I help. If I don't get rid of my bitterness, then where I want God to use me, I'm going to end up assassinating people. I'm going to end up saying the wrong things. I'm going to end up clamoring. I'm going to end up speaking evil against people. If I don't deal with my bitterness now and God tries to anoint me and use me, then I'm going to be toxic 
in the pulpit. All right, here's the third thing. So the first one's got to be plucked. You got to be called. Second thing, you got to be pierced. So what does that mean? I got to go through something. I got to get that bitterness out of me. How do I get it out of me? The next step shows you how. The next thing you get is you go through the soaking. So soaking the olives has to do with soaking them in water until notice how these are split. Notice these are, have been pierced. They soaked them in, in water. So the water soaks into the olive and pushes out, and it begins to actually foam. This picture doesn't show you that, but the bitterness actually foams up inside of the bucket. So you can see the acid coming out and foaming up inside the bucket, and you, you discard all of that. You don't keep that, and now you have these olives that are full of water. Somebody tell me what, the, what water is a symbol of in the Bible. Anybody remember? The Holy Spirit, right. So water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So God puts me through a season to rid me of my pain and bitterness by putting me into a season of soaking where the Holy Spirit can flow into me and push out all of my junk. And I want to tell you, when you get into that season, what does that season look like, Dr. B, when God does it? He, you, first of all, you feel broken. Then you feel desperate and you feel angry. I know none of you have ever felt this way before, so I'm just describing me, right? So you feel broken. You feel desperate. You feel angry. You can't believe this is happening. You feel, you feel this place of desperation where the only thing you can do, the only relief you can have is get in the presence of God. And if you've ever been in a season of soaking, that's the only place you feel safe is when you crawl up in his arms and you begin worshiping him. Listen, I've been through seasons in my life where I, I remember one season that I went through that was a very painful time in my life. Every morning, I would wade through the Psalms. I would get out the Psalms and start reading them. I crawled up in the cave with David when he talked about his enemies were breaking his teeth and they were piercing his flesh and they were coming against him and no man cared for my soul and I would walk through those with David every morning and then I would put on worship music and I would, I would tell you I didn't want to leave I knew I had to go but that was the safest place I could not wait to get up the next morning because I hated leaving that room because when you go through soaking you crawl up in the lap of almighty God and he becomes your best friend you get a alone with God and something changes inside of you. Hallelujah. Notice this. Seasons of soaking takes you into deep places of worship. It takes you into a place of saturation. We used to call, we used to call nights of worship at Twin Rivers, we call them soakings because we wanted to come into God's presence and get absolutely soaked in the glory, soaked in his presence. And when you are going through your season of soaking, you will reach out for God in ways you've never reached out for him. You will read the Bible in, with an intensity you've never read it before. You will play worship music and dance all by yourself in the house until God sets you free because you need that water to push it out and in his presence there's the fullness of joy and in his presence there's the peace that passes understanding and all you want is the presence of God more than anything else. Has anybody ever been in that season before? It's the, it's the most amazing, one of the most amazing seasons you will ever walk through where God becomes so close to you in that season. You're being anointed. You're not being broken. You're being healed. You're not being set, you're not being set aside. You're being set apart. 
You're, you're being sanctified. God has greater things for you. God is getting rid of the old man so he can put on a new man and do something amazing. You have captives to be set free. When Paul and Silas were set free in the jail, the Bible says the prisoners were listening and all the prisoners got set free too. There's a lot of prisoners that need to hear you. There's a lot of prisoners that need to hear your praise. There's a lot of prisoners that need to hear your story. Some of you've got books to write that have have to be written. Some of you got sermons to preach that have to be preached. God is moving you through the process so that he can use you to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. So the next thing, fourthly, is the olives have to be crushed. They're crushed to be separated from the seed. Now here's, here's an important part of this. So you're looking right now at part of the Gethsemane where the wheel runs over the olives and crushes them. The reason they're being crushed is because the flesh has to be separated from the seed. Now what does that mean in my life? Why does the flesh been separated from the seed? That is you understanding the difference in you and your gift. You have to give your gift to God. Let me tell you what will happen if you don't. If you don't give your gift to God, it will always be your gift. And you will use it your way. And you will lean upon your own understanding. You'll lean upon your own gift if you don't give it to God. So you have to go through a season. See that the seed of that olive is its future. The only way you can grow a tree is with that seed. The only way you can have babies is with that seed. The only way you can grow another olive is with that seed. That seed is the future of the olive. There's another olive tree inside of him, and the Lord says you're going to give that up. What? You're taking my seed? You're leaving me in my flesh? And you're taking, what? This can't be ministry. No, God says, surrender it. Yesterday, just preparing for this sermon, yesterday I was at ISO all day long and I had one song on repeat, Crystal will tell you, because she had to listen to it during a two-hour meeting. Um, I had one song on repeat all day long and it was because I was working on this sermon and this was in my spirit. I had C.C. Wine in singing, I Surrender All. And it never stopped. I literally started listening to it about five o'clock in the morning. I listened to it all day long in my office. I listened to it all the way home. I never got tired of it because it reminded me that my gift is really not my gift. My gift is something he put inside of me. I have no words unless he gives them to me. I have no song unless he gives them to me. I have no understanding unless he gives them to me. I have no revelation unless he gives them to me. And you can be the most gifted person in the world, but your gift alone is not enough in ministry. If you're just playing music, because you like music, you're missing the point. That's not what God is after. God wants to break chains when you play music. God wants to set captives free when you play music, and a musician can do that. A musician can bring the anointing quicker than anybody else can bring the anointing. When Elisha the prophet was called upon to prophesy, he said, there is no atmosphere here. I cannot prophesy. Bring me a musician. And when the musician showed up and began to play, it shifted the atmosphere and the prophet began to prophesy. When they were, when they were anointing the temple of God, the Bible said they got up and gave all these long speeches. The king gave speeches, but all of a sudden the musicians began to play. And when the musicians began to play and the singers began to sing, the atmosphere shifted, the heavens opened 
opened up and the glory of God came into the house. Listen, God wants more than your talent. God wants more than your voice. God wants more than your guitar and your piano keys and your organ. You can't just be gifted. You need to be anointed. And the only way for you to be anointed is God to separate your flesh from your gift and tell you, this now belongs to me. Trust me with your future. Trust me with your gift. I'm taking it away from you. I'm leaving you helpless. Now you're in your flesh, but that flesh is about to turn into oil. That flesh is about to turn into joy. That flesh is about to set captives free. You've got to trust me with your gift. So the olive has to be crushed. And then finally, the olive has to be pressed. Has to be pressed. There is no ministry without pressure. No ministry. The pressure, please understand what I'm telling you. This is so important. The pressure of ministry is necessary. Braden, it's necessary. The pressure of ministry is necessary to keep us accountable. The minute we no longer feel the accountability of working for a king, I tell the OCI staff all the time, they hear me say it almost every staff meeting, I feel like I said, we work for a king. That's who we work for. We only give our best. We only give excellence because we don't work for a man. We work for a king. And when you understand that, you understand that you give your best because the king deserves the best. And only then, then and only then are you gonna be, are you gonna feel the pressure. Let me tell you something. If you're doing your ministry without pressure, you're sloppy. If you're doing your ministry without pressure, you're narcissistic. I know that sounds rude, but I'm just being honest. You have to feel a certain pressure to say, this is not about me. You have to feel a certain pressure to say, there are people that have to be set free tonight. You have to feel a certain pressure to say that we've got to break strongholds tonight. There's gotta be a certain pressure that says, we've gotta shift musicians and singers. You can't just sing and you can't just play. You gotta change the atmosphere. And it's not just about something. That, listen, anybody can, anybody, any gifted musician can soothe the soul. You can go to a rock concert and get happy. You can go to a country music concert and cry. I mean, really, you probably cry a whole lot there, to be honest with you. You can go to the, you can go hear the symphony and, and get peaceful. We're not talking about soothing emotions. We're talking about the supernatural of God coming in and changing an atmosphere where you're pulling people from the flames of hell and you're opening up the doors of heaven and people walk out healed in their body and people walk out with their minds set free. We're talking about something supernatural that's bigger than a concert and it's bigger than a moment. You are shifting the atmosphere with the anointing. So there's a pressure. People that have the gift of prophecy without pressures will tell you something different every time they see you. And half of it won't make sense because no one's holding them accountable. Can I tell you something about prophets? We have a duty to hold prophets accountable. Do you hear what I'm saying? We have a duty to hold prophets accountable to what they prophesy. The body of Christ has that duty. We have, if somebody prophesies to you, write it down. Date it. If it comes to pass, go back to them. If it doesn't, don't go back to them. Don't take everything everybody says as your word for that moment. 
Don't take that flippantly. There has got to be some pressure in ministry that hold us accountable to working for a king. So the final step of that is the pressure. And the pressure that begins to press down. Show us the picture then of the, of the, the final stage. There. I, want, I want them to see this. There's a, actually a long pole, and I want you to see the burlap and the, and the olives. Guys, show us that. There we go on the screen here. I want you to see this. This is what happens. Take the olive flesh. They put pressure on it. They put weights on it, and it begins to push down on the flesh until the oil begins to flow. And when the oil begins to flow, that oil brings joy. That oil brings refreshing. That oil brings change. Every time somebody anoints you, that olive went through this process. Every bottle of oil you, you, you use in your food, it went through this process. And every minister of the gospel goes through the Gethsemane process. That's where Jesus took us to say, we're starting a new chapter here. This is what the new season looks like. I'm going to heaven, but I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to take you through a process that even if you're broken, I'm going to use you. Even if you're messed up, I'm going to use you. I'm going to heal you because other people need to be healed. I'm going to set you free because other people need to be set free. So here's how I'm going to close. Let's go to Psalm 133 for the closing. All right, I'm going to go ahead and ask the musicians to come. The first thing that has to get anointed, and guys, this is too important, so everybody that wants to be in ministry, listen to this part. The first thing that has to be anointed is your head and your mouth. Not your hands, not your feet. If your head and your mouth don't get anointed, forget about laying hands on somebody. The first thing that has to be anointed is your head changes the way you think. It changes the way you understand things. It changes the way you see things. The first thing that has to be anointed is your head. And then from there, the next thing that has to be anointed is your mouth. So let me show you that in, in, um, in Psalm 133. Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Go to the next verse. It is like the precious oil on the head. Everybody say the head. And it's running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. So let's stop right there. Before it runs to the hands, before it runs to the feet, before it falls onto the ground, before it falls, in the, falls to the edge of his garment, the anointing starts with his head. He anoints my head with oil in the presence of my enemies. A process. God's not hurting you. He's healing you. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to hear that. What you're going through right now is you're graduating you're just in the school. It might feel like the school of hard knocks. It might feel like things aren't coming together, but I'm telling you, God's positioning you for power. He's turning your pain into power. God is positioning you for great things ahead of you. But notice this, the only description it gives us, the only bodily description it gives us in this anointing of the high priest is one, one place is beard. Why? Because when you anoint the head, it doesn't say it fell on his fingertips. It doesn't say it fell on his feet. It doesn't say it ran down his back and gave him a backbone. It doesn't say any of that. It says it gathered around his beard so that everything he says is anointed. He calls forth blessings and curses there. He calls forth healings for sickness. Your head gets anointed. Then you can say in the name of Jesus be made whole. And the demon has to go. You, you get anointed. Then you can say in the name of Jesus I call forth healing in your body. I call forth to be manifested in your body. And the healing has to come because your mouth has been anointed. So the first thing that happens in the anointing of your life is your head gets anointed. And then the words you speak 
are filled with authority and they begin to change around you. That's what the Gethsemane anointing is about. And God is looking for people tonight that is filled with a precious anointing that can set captives free. I don't, you don't have to do this on the screens, but I want to read for it. One, I want to read you one more verse that I started with. I want, you, I want this to be the last thing you hear. Why do we get anointed? To preach, to heal, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open up prison doors to those who are bound, to prophesy the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of God's vengeance, to comfort those who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give beauty for ashes, to give the oil of joy for mourning, to give the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And God's looking for that to be stable in me, that I can be the, the tree that's been planted by the waters. That's why we have to have anointed people because that's what anointed people do. <laughs> we have to have people who can do that. We have to be a place where the sick can come in and leave well. We have to be a place where the demon-possessed can come in and leave free. We have to be a place where the broken heart can come in and leave whole. We have to be a place where people come in with ashes, but they leave with joy. Come in one way and leave another way. This program is brought to you by the partners of Brian Cutshaw and Church Trainer Ministries. Please help us pray that the Lord will continue to send us more partners so we can expand His kingdom around the world.